There's a verse in Haggai, chapter 2, which is a great verse for the end of the year. story, of course, is that Haggai's been called to motivate the people to rebuild the temple. And he gets them together and shows them the ruins of the temple in Jerusalem. In verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? How does it look to you now? That's a good end of the year verse. Uh, we all do that to some degree, I think. I, uh, particularly the last week, some over the holiday was in and cleaning things up and putting notebooks away and starting new notebooks and rearranging the files to file the 2012 sermons away and start trying to decide what 2013 might might hold, uh, rearranging all the things. When you do that, you tend to look back and think, I just did this a year ago. How do things go this year? How does it look to you now? I've got a little book that I write all the marriages and funerals and uh, baptisms and things like that in. Uh, this afternoon, I pulled that out to write the two newest baptisms in and noticed the list was fairly long, so I went back a few years and looked. We had more baptisms at Northside than we've had since 1998. Uh, it was the last year that we had more than this. So, how's it look to you now? That's a pretty good question. You, you look back at things and you, you evaluate. And I, I thought of that verse and thought I would use it as a... a launching point to talk about the church a little bit. We Usually New Year's time we talk about personal things. What am I going to do? How am I going to get better? All of that. But Sunday nights are kind of a special crowd. We've got uh, uh, pretty much Church of Christ folks that have been raised that way. uh, Older demographic just a little bit on Sunday evening and I thought maybe that'd be a good idea because I have people ask me, you know, how's the church look to you? What shape is the church in? Uh, now, let me clarify a few things that they ask because they wonder what I think about some of the things going on in the church or uh, other congregations and all of that. And uh, basically, my answer is that's not my job to worry about that. Uh, I'm not the Brotherhood Police, and some people do think that's their job, but uh, I'm not one of them. Uh, Some people specialize in that. They write papers and write magazines and send things out and spend their time criticizing anything that anybody does and tearing it down and and all of that. Um, I don't do that, and I think that's one of the strengths of Northside is uh, one of the keys to our unity, which we just spent a few weeks talking about, is that that's not a practice at Northside. Uh, We kind of have our hands full just taking care of Northside. We don't have time to run the whole brotherhood. So we we focus more here. uh, We've got plenty to do to show people the love of God here uh, without worrying about everybody else everywhere else. But... uh, when I'm asked that question, or what do I think is happening in the church, or how do I think it is, or whatever, at least in my mind, I don't always tell people this, but I go back to rule number one, 
And that is that the church is in good hands. Okay? Uh, the PowerPoint isn't, but the Church of Christ is. <laughs> Things are happening here. <laughs> My screen's lighting up here. Um, the church is in good hands. Jesus said, I will build my church. And what else? The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Okay. So for 2,000 years, it's been carrying on. Yeah, it's been up and down. Yeah, it goes through cycles. Yeah, men mess it up. Men get crazy ideas and say, well, we ought to try this and we ought to do this. And we prove that those are bad ideas and we go back to what we did and it goes up and down and all that, but it's in good hands. Jesus said he's going to take care of the church. So uh, if you go back to rule number one, you worry a whole lot less about the church dying out next week. Uh, but I still understand why people ask that. And we talked about this a little bit in our unity series. Uh, people come back from vacation or they've been to some other congregation somewhere and they say, I, I visited so and I you can't believe what they're doing. You know, it, it's different than we're used to. Uh, we've all got a comfort zone. We talked about that. Uh, uh, we're used to our traditions and all that. And like we said in our unity series, uh, there was a time when Church of Christ all looked very uniform. Uh, we claim to be autonomous, but we actually all looked and acted pretty much the same. That's not the way it is anymore. Things are different. Uh, I think just my own reasoning, I think the reason is, is that we used to associate a whole lot more with each other. Uh, when I was growing up, anytime there was a meeting in town or anything happening at another congregation, I knew where we were going at least one night that week. Uh, the family packed up and we went and visited that congregation and uh, participated in their gospel meeting and knew people. And I still, any congregation I go to in town or when we have the area-wide worship, I know people from all over the town. Anybody much younger than me probably doesn't. Uh, we're, unless you've come from another congregation, you younger people probably don't know anybody at another congregation. We don't do much together. Uh, we used to do a whole lot more of that. We associated with each other. We had meetings. We uh, had preachers come from other congregations and, and all of that. And we just don't do that anymore. In fact, I think we look to the outside. We look to denominational folks to get new brilliant ideas. It's kind of a little fad right now. And I'm being pretty honest with you here tonight. I think you can handle it. I wouldn't do this on a Sunday morning, but I thought it might be a little interesting to you guys. Um, it's kind of a fad right now. I may get carry on, may get worse, I don't know. Uh, but some of the workshops like Tulsa and uh, Abilene Lectures and some of those, uh, it's a fad to invite, uh, I forget what they call them now, visiting uh, lectures or they, they've got a term for it, uh, that they're not Church of Christ folks. Uh, some of them are famous right now. Uh, they've written a big book in the religious world or something and they've made a name for themselves and so they get invited to 
these functions. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything, I don't think church is going to end tomorrow because of it. I'm just saying it's different. We didn't used to do anything like that. Somebody was telling me the other day, they listened to a tape or heard a sermon by old brother G.P. Holt and said, didn't we have him at Northside one time? Yeah, we had him a couple of times. He was a great preacher from back in Indiana and had him at the soul winning workshop and then a couple of gospel meetings and all that. Uh, we don't do that anymore. We don't have that interaction that keeps us uh, so close. So we kind of all go our own way and we are starting to look more and more different. And I think that'll continue. I don't see any reason that's going to turn around, be be any different in any any major way. Uh, there are a lot of things going on that I don't think are wise. A lot of them that get people upset. I don't think they're necessarily unscriptural. I just think they're not very wise. They're kind of crazy things, I call them. Uh, and I think we'll chase those fads for a while and figure out they don't work that well. We'll probably settle down and get back to what we used to do more, but there'll be some changes that will always be there, and we may go further. I don't know. Uh, I think the the, the musical thing, instrumental and a cappella, and how we do worship and all that will probably continue to be a divisive thing. I think some will think that we need to go down the road of entertainment and adding instruments and and all of that. I don't don't think that's the right way to go. I think others will say, no, we're going to remain a cappella. We're going to carry that on. and, And I think those that do carry that on, if they do it right, I think if we're going to do a cappella, we ought to be the absolute best at a cappella. And I think Northside is really good, but I think we ought to be about 50% better. Uh, I think any visitor that steps in here ought to be blown off their feet. They ought to just be absolutely amazed that a group of people sings like that and enjoys it and acts like that while they're singing instead of just going through the motions. If that's a distinctive of ours, we ought to be the absolute best at it. Uh, and that's mainly to those of you that can sing. You ought to really sing. <laughs> I can't help much with my big theory here, uh, but <laughs> some of you can. And uh, I, I think that ought to be a, a huge distinctive for Northside. We ought to be very unique at that. That's one of my little sayings when... Somebody asked me about something, or is Northside still doing that, or saying, I say, Northside is getting uniquer and uniquer. And I know that's not good grammar, but I, I think we are. Uh, we still do a lot of things that kind of the old way. I think it's the great way. But I think we ought to be really, really good at it when we do it. So, uh, yeah, we're getting a little more unique than we used to be. Um, I think there are some changes coming uh, in the brotherhood, if you will. I think there's obviously going to be more large congregations and fewer small congregations. Uh, 
small rural congregations are having a hard time. I didn't take time to count, but in the last probably three, four years maybe, I think we've probably got maybe five letters and checks from small congregations around Kansas, and actually one up in Illinois, uh, and some brother, or in one case a sister from the congregation wrote and said, we've decided there aren't enough of us left to carry on. We're closing the doors. Uh, We've taken what money we got left, and we're sending it to people that we think are doing a good work, and we want to know your Bible to have this much. Uh, There are quite a few small congregations that aren't going to last much longer. I think that's a change that's that's going to happen. Uh, some of them could do something about it, and some of them, the town and the economy and all that, just you can't do much about it. Uh, but some of them, I think, are aging and they're not adapting, and people pass away, and pretty soon the congregation's going to pass away. Uh, another thing contributing that I think is there's fewer men that. Uh, are going into the ministry. We've got a shortage of preachers. Uh, the local minister's job in a small congregation is not very glamorous, and it's certainly not very uh, rewarding financially, and not many men doing that anymore. So I think there's going to be some, some obvious changes in the church in those areas. Uh, when we talked about our unity series, we talked a little bit about changes, and I was trying to set the stage for some things that may uh, not necessarily have to happen or will happen, but might happen in the future. Uh, I mean, let me talk just a little bit about that. Northside, we've changed, but when we see something changing, we need to react to it. We need to... Hopefully we'd be ahead of the curve, but when we see something, we ought to do something. For instance, uh, and we do this every year, the elders and staff get together at a strategic planning session uh, in the fall, and we talk about these things and look at all sorts of numbers and percentages and stuff. Uh, One thing we saw a few years ago was that the Sunday school percentage, people who came to Sunday school, was dropping. Okay. it used to be 60% plus, and it was just continually going down. The percentage of people that who came for worship that came first for Sunday school just kept dropping, and I don't remember how low it got, but I think it got down to in the 50s somewhere. And we saw that trend happening. And we said, well, we need to do something about that. There's some reason that people don't find Sunday school helpful or they aren't coming to it or something, I'll do something. So we studied that and worked on it, and that's when we reorganized into the, the class structure into what's now. Uh, you remember we used to have just kind of open classes. You could go anywhere you wanted, and, uh, cafeteria style, pick your class and jump around every quarter and all that, and that was kind of fun for picking what you wanted, but nobody knew where anybody was. I mean, there was no accountability. Uh, if you stopped coming to Sunday school, nobody would know. Unless they stood out there at 10 o'clock and watched who came in. <laughs> you didn't know who was at Sunday school. Okay, 
So that's when we reorganized in the peer group, the the life stages, whatever you want to call it, and uh, got class, uh, whatever they are, administrators, and, and started keeping roll and keeping track of people and inviting people. And since then, the trend has reversed, and it's gone back up close to 70% now. Uh, folks that come for worship come early for Sunday school. So uh, um, what I'm saying is when we see things change or uh, things starting to change, we ought to decide is that a good thing or a bad thing and what do we ought to do about it. Uh, tonight is another thing that's changed. I don't know how much attention you pay, but there are fewer people here than there used to be on Sunday night. Uh, we also track that number, and that number's going right downhill steady. Uh, we've tried different styles of, uh, different topics of preaching. We've tried a number of different things and hadn't bothered it a bit. It just keeps right on going down. Uh, the people that don't come back on Sunday evenings are growing. Okay, so that's a, that's a change that's happening. Uh, and we, we need to do something about it. We need to respond to that. We need to figure out uh, just because we've always done something doesn't mean it's the best way to do something. Uh, we've dismissed the kids just a little while ago. We've added some services for people with young children that they can bring their kids and still listen to the sermon and pay attention and, and all of that, and maybe that'll help a little bit. Maybe we need to do some other things. But uh, just as I look at the church, how's it look to you now? Well, it's different. There's a few things like that that are different. Um, and I'm not saying all these are the, the most important thing or the uh, the biggest thing about a congregation, but they're things that we ought to pay attention to. Um, some of the big things, I think, are how a congregation, what's the real foundation of a congregation, what's the nature of the congregation, and I sometimes think when I think, how's Northside doing, how's it look to me now, I think about book of Revelation and the seven churches that are listed there, wouldn't it be interesting if we got a letter from Jesus about, here's what I think about Northside right now, if you look through the seven churches and tally up what Jesus said about them, uh, there were two of them that got A's, you know, all positive. Jesus didn't have anything bad to say about them. And then there were two of them that were all negative. Jesus didn't have anything good to say about them. And then the other three were kind of in the middle. He had a few good things to say and a few bad things to say. Um, I think it would be kind of interesting what he would, would say about Northside. I went through and picked out some of the verses that I think are kind of the essence of what we ought to be looking at here at Northside as we think, how's it look to us now? Uh, one is in chapter 2 and verse 2 of Revelation. Jesus said, I think this is the church at Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. Uh, and I think Northside does a lot of good deeds, and I think Northside has a lot of hard workers. Now, if I'm being honest with you, which I think I always am, I think, in my opinion, 
there's a smaller percentage of hard workers than there used to be. Now, I, I can't prove that. I don't rate everybody and keep a record of <laughs> how hard you work or what you do or what you get involved in. But as I look at some of the things that we do, and, and part of it's just we've changed ministries in a lot of ways. We, but culture has changed, too. Uh, and we do some things that we never used to do. Uh, Women Walking with God Conference and CR and uh, Work Camp, a number of things we do that gets a lot of workers. So maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe we just are working in different places. But I look at some of the older things we used to do or still do, and people aren't that uh, involved, shall we say. We just did holiday baskets for what the... 120th year or something like that. It was, you know, it's been going on forever. Uh, and used to, there was a huge amount of handmade goodies and handcrafted items and, and all kinds of things. This year, there was hardly any. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's different. You know, uh, people like Irene Ford used to crochet or handcraft, you know, 80 little things, you know, one for every basket. I don't know how many zillion hours that took. But this year, we looked at what was donated and what came and had to take some money and go to Walmart the night before and buy a bunch of stuff to put in the baskets. I'm not condemning that, I'm just saying it's different. Uh, but if Jesus in, in Ephesus noted their, their deeds and their hard work, I think that ought to be something we think about. Are we training the young people to work? Uh, are the older women training the younger women uh, to do what they ought to do? Are the older men training the younger men to, to work and to participate and do things? That's one reason that some of the smaller congregations are dying out. The old workers are wearing out. So, another verse I looked at here, chapter 2, verse 4. And this is Ephesus, which he had some good and some bad against. Here's some bad. He said in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. They forsook their first love. What's our first love? Are we, are we still focused on our first love? Well, you say, well, our first love ought to be God. Well, yeah. And it ought to be each other. Well, yeah, that's part of what the local church is for. And it ought to be outside, the lost. That ought to be our first love. It, it's easy for a congregation to get involved in ministries and, and make those ministries the most wonderful thing in the world and, and get away from their first love, what, what should be their first love. And I don't think we've done that. I'm just saying this is a thing we ought to think about as we say, how does it look to us now? Some of our big ministries like uh, Women Walking with God and the missions work and uh, celebrate recovery and work camp and all of those. Uh, we ought to 
make sure we don't ever let those become an end to themselves. They ought to be still focused on that first love. Are we glorifying God? Are we helping the brethren? Are we reaching the lost? It's easy to get off track. I'm sure Ephesus didn't think they were off track, but they were pretty successful in a lot of things. But Jesus said, you lost, you left your first love. You're not on track anymore. Chapter 2, verse 14. One we work at pretty hard around here, I think. Told the church in Pergamum, he said, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Uh, You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Verse 15, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay? We could spend a little time talking about what those teachings were, but let's just refine it down here. They had some false doctrine going on. They didn't have doctrinal integrity in Pergamum. And Jesus said some good things about him, and then he said, but here's the problem. You've got some people teaching the wrong thing. Uh, I think Northside's known for that and should always be known for that, that we're pretty straight down the line on doctrine. Uh, we don't get off in a ditch, as Brother Bill usually says. Don't get off in a ditch on either side. Stay right down the middle. Uh, the way people get off of that is they, they stop teaching doctrine. They stop teaching the basic. They stop teaching the Bible. Uh, we have a monthly preachers meeting. The preachers in the area and uh, get together once a month and visit and talk about, share some sermons and things and all that and discuss things. And it, a few months ago, I can't remember exactly when it was, but a few months ago, a question came up uh, or somebody said something in their talk. That was about the Holy Spirit. And one of the preachers uh, expressed his understanding, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. And I was flabbergasted. I thought, that's unbelievable. That somebody's preaching that doesn't understand the Holy Spirit any better than that. Uh, he was wrong. You know, about the very personality of the Spirit. When you quit preaching doctrine, when you quit tre- preaching the Bible, and I know this is kind of funny for a guy that just preached from Dr. Seuss last week, but <laughs> I don't do that very often. <laughs> I usually preach from the Bible. Uh, but there are places where they do preach from Dr. Seuss more than they preach from the Bible. You know, and you can get off. You forget what doctrine is. What proper doctrine is. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 20. Here's a tough one. This is Thyatira. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. Okay, I don't know exactly what Jezebel was doing or what she was teaching or all that, but let's kind of sum that one up and say uh, there was moral compromise going on. I think that's something that a 
congregation that is saying, how, do, how does it look to us now, needs to ask. Now, this is getting harder and harder, folks. We had a couple of series on Sunday nights about moral questions, and it, the culture has changed a whole lot. Uh, and it's going to get harder and harder to be uncompromising on matters of morality. Uh, let me give you a small example. A few, well, a period of time ago, I won't tell you how long ago it was, a uh, young man that was attending Northside, was a member, uh, found a girlfriend that he wanted to marry and came in and well, he asked me if I'd marry him. I said, well, you can come in and we'll talk about it. That's uh, what I tell everybody. Come in and we'll talk about it. I don't know if I can marry you or not. Uh, anyhow, they came in and I always ask the same two questions when I start. You know, have you ever been married before and are you living together? I, usually I know the answer, but sometimes I get surprised. And I ask them, and when I ask, have you, are, are you living together, they both nodded their head and said yes. So I said, well, I got a problem there. And so I went on and explained what the problem was. I said, first of all, that's not good for you. you know, that's not good for a marriage. Uh, there's all kinds of statistics and studies and all that that say that people live together before marriage, uh, a higher, much higher percentage of those marriages fail. So that's not a good practice. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, secondly, the signal that if I just do a marriage and act like everything's all right and nothing's untoward and all that. What message am I sending to these young people sitting down here? I mean, they figure it out. They say, oh, those two were living together and Steve married them. That must be A-okay. Didn't bother him. Yeah, not that I'm the arbiter of right and wrong, but I'm saying that's what people see and think. So I explained that to them that uh, I can't do that. It, there's got to be something different before I can do that. And what I would require is that you need to separate and live apart. You need to be chased for a while and see if you still want to be married. And after you've been apart for a while and have proved that you can, can do that and you're serious about it and you want to please God, uh, then come back and we'll talk about it. Now, I tell you all that, and some of you are sitting there thinking, man, because the culture thinks, what's wrong with that guy? And there's a whole lot of preachers that think, what's wrong with that guy? Because in their mindset, the best thing these people can do is get married. And I agree, they ought to be married instead of not married, but there's more to it than that. Um, and it's it's harder and harder to hold that line, to say that. I think it's the best thing to do. I think it's right. I think it's uncompromising. But I'm trying to tell you, it's harder and harder to be uncompromising. And I think a congregation needs to 
think about that when they think about how's it look to us now? Are we compromising in moral areas? Okay, chapter 3, verse 16 is another one I picked up. This is the famous lukewarm passage. Poor old Laodicea. Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, why they were lukewarm and all of that doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, But not being hot or cold is a bad thing. And And a church that has as many things going as we've got going, it's probably pretty easy to just get to tending to ourselves and and forget the first love maybe a little bit and get lukewarm about what's really important. I mean, we're pretty hot about some things. You know, Wednesday night meals are a good thing. We're, <laughs> we're hot about those. We get all upset when we, the kitchen takes a break here in December. You know, we want our Wednesday night meal. Well, we ought to be as hot about Know Your Bible viewers, and we ought to be as hot about CR people when they start coming to, to worship with us and all that. We ought to be hot about what it's important to be hot about. It's easy to get lukewarm about those with, when we've got so many things that we like in our area and all that. Uh, we'll make sure we don't get lukewarm. Last one, chapter 2, verse 3. Go back to chapter 2. Tells the church in Ephesus, you have persevered, you've endured hardships, and you've not grown weary. King James says they were steadfast. I think that's the one I picked to close on because I think Northside needs to be steadfast. Uh, We just finished a whole year of talking about building a sure foundation. That's why I went through that. Because I think Northside needs to understand what a strong foundation is and make sure we stand firm on the things that we need to be steadfast in. Uh, Building a sure foundation for this body is important uh, to me. I think it's important to all of you, and I know it ought to be important to uh, the whole body. Northside is not perfect, but I can't think of any place I'd rather be uh, than just talking about these things uh, I don't want it to make you think I've got any negative thoughts in any way. I think Northside's the greatest congregation in the nation, but uh, I think we ought to step back every once in a while and say, how does it look to us now? You know, pay attention to a few of the right things. All right, that is the last sermon you're going to hear this year. But I'll come back next year, I think. So... Thanks for your attention, and I hope that you have a happy holiday and a good beginning to a new year. If you're here and need to make a fresh start and get ready for that new year spiritually, we're going to invite you to come. Let's stand and sing.